0: Hello and welcome to The Dabblers Book Club. This is the brand new podcast for people who have never read Chaucer and probably never will. Uh, I'm Curtis and over there...
2: All the way over here is Hadja. Hello.
0: We are in our house behind our TV in a weird little alcove and we've taped a bed sheet uh, so hopefully the microphones aren't ringing too much. You can hear us nice and intimately. It's cosy, isn't it?
2: Uh, yeah, but this is what Instagram musicians would call their studio. So uh... so
0: what, what are we going to do on this podcast?
2: Um... We're going to talk about books, and for me, it's my main motivation to actually read books. So I've just uh, finished, I don't know if you know this about me, Curtis, but I've just been to Paris and I've just finished a uh, master's in creative writing. Uh, and I read more books in the first four months than I think I've done in the last five years, um, which was a wonderful experience. But I lack the motivation and discipline to do that um, off my own back. So this, for me, is a, an excuse to read
0: Ah, and by total contrast um i 've never done any study, and in fact, I can barely read, <laughs> but I do love reading books and uh, can 't stop reading. <laughs> So I think we balance each other out quite nicely. We do,
2: yes, we do. Um, And we have very different tastes in books, usually. My taste being whatever my friend gives me. uh, Because I have quite a few friends in publishing and they they give me books. What's your taste?
0: Well, men, apparently. (laughs) To pull back the curtain, actually. uh, So we were looking at my bookshelf upstairs last week and you decided we'd play count how many women authors I'd read. Yes. I reckon there's about 90 books on the bookshelf.
2: Oh, no, more than that.
0: Okay, well, six of them were women.
2: Yeah, I think it was nine actually, non nonfiction. But no, you've—that's the bookshelf of about 150. Okay. Um. Yeah, there were nine women. Yeah.
0: Um. Well, the, hopefully this podcast can help address the balance. And, um, yeah.
2: And mine had what about 38 men. Yeah. Um, all the and, good ones. And significantly fewer books in total on my bookshelf. So I win.
0: So hopefully you'll get more books yeah. through doing this, and I'll get more books that were not written by chauvinists.
2: <laughs> Hopefully. Um, I mean, much as I like reading books about women being raped. Um, yeah, it's good to broaden your horizons. Uh, no, but for me as well, this is actually not my way of filling my bookshelf because uh, I am making sure I read these books first. And this is something about Curtis, which is very important to know, that he does not lend books and he does not borrow books. If you lend him a book, um, you are doing that uh, in full knowledge that he will keep it. Um, he does not, uh, yeah, doesn't lend or borrow books. You like to make sure that once you've read a book, it goes on your bookshelf. And this works very well for me because I like to have a lot of space. So I'm going to read these books, then give them to you to read, and then they can go on your bookshelf. Yeah.
0: Uh, and the only thing intersected into that is is chops in about them for the purpose of this podcast. Yep um so that's how we're going to play it um moving forward we would love your recommendations as well you know it's all well and good we we you know get freebies from friends or you'll get freebies from friends i won't but you um if that. there's something you'd like us to read something you'd like us to talk about then please do let us know we're hoping to have some guests join us we might have to find somewhere a bit bigger than the cubby hole behind the tv
2: yeah big plans well ideas but the main thing about this podcast is it's just something to do isn't it it's nice to do Little things together. Keep us reading together. Couple that reads together. Bleeds together. I don't know. Our
0: counsellor said it would be good.
2: Shut up. <laughs>
0: you can cut that out. Yeah.
2: yeah,
0: So we have to start somewhere. Uh, what are we going to be talking about this week?
2: Right. Well, um, I spent hours and hours poring over which book to read first. Um And then my friend gave me a copy of The Last of Her Kind by Sigrid Nunez, which, before we go into it, um, I've actually read... This is my second Sigrid Nunez book, which I've read this year, uh, because the other book was also gifted to me by that same friend. Um, And that book was actually called The Friend, and it's about a woman who takes on her uh, dead friend's dog, basically. And that book was fantastic, because within it, she she writes about three academic characters, but through uni circles, I know who she's talking about. And actually, she's split one horrible, horrible man, real life man into three characters just because some of his heinous tales made good, uh, made a good story in her book. Anyway, loved that book. This is the last of her kind. It's more substantial. It was actually published uh, a few years ago in in America. Um, it was actually first published in 2006, but it's only just been published here by Virago, part of Little Brown Book Group. Um, Yeah, just published this year. First published in Great Britain. I mean, that's amazing. 13 years before UK publication. And do you want to read the blurb? Tell us what it's about.
0: I will. So, The Last of Her Kind. Anne and Georgette meet as college roommates in New York in 1968 Anne, who comes from a wealthy family, is brilliant and idealistic. Georgette, who has grown up in poverty, is mystified by Anne's romanticization of the underprivileged class, which Georgette is hoping college will enable her to escape. An intense and difficult friendship is born. Years after, a fight ends their friendship and is convicted of murder. And as Georgette struggles to understand what has happened, she is led back to their shared history and to an examination of the revolutionary era in which the two women came of age. So, lots going on there. Uh, Did you enjoy it?
2: I did. I really, really did. I was... um, I think it took me about 20, 30 pages to get into it and then I couldn't put it down. Um, Yeah, I... I loved it, really, really got into it. It's interesting, though, because I did really love it and it stayed with me for quite a few days afterwards. But then the more I think about it and actually looking at a few reviews of it, suddenly the negative things people say about it kind of seep into your mind. You go, oh, actually, yeah, maybe. And then as a critical kind of eye, I started to yes well the more I thought critically about it the less mm. I liked it but it doesn't change the fact that it really impacted me and it kind of got me really got me in the gut when yeah. I was reading it what did you think
0: it, no it's weird that isn't it because I, I, I'll always read reviews as well after I've read a book and and it is funny how something you didn't even think of as a criticism you do go oh well I did think that subconsciously and before you know it you're like oh that whole you chapter was your favorite book, Yeah, your favourite book yeah you hate your favourite book is the, is, the, is the best way of putting it um <laughs> Uh, and so it is weird how other people's opinion can help to form your own and and you and you sort of lose your authentic experience. I really liked it. I, uh, like you, I took a good while to get into it, but I did like what she was doing. I like the whole, uh, I, I could see it as a movie, the whole 60s mm. flashback yeah. thing, because uh, it's obviously all written retrospectively and turning up at her college dorm and meeting her roommate. It's sort of, oh, it hasn't been made into a movie, has it?
2: I don't think so, no. It no,
0: like should be. You could see how it would be. It would it really lend itself made me think of Forrest Gump. Exactly, yeah. that sort of era. Yeah, exactly. That's a really yeah. good shout. Um, the, the, you, uh, maybe this is skipping ahead a bit, but the one thing that, I, that didn't quite sit with me, I loved the whole narrative of Anne and how Anne was a bit of a freak and at odds with herself. I mean, don't get me wrong, very strong and interesting yeah. character, but also kind of a little bit... How authentic was her, you know, white saviour yeah. stuff, which we'll get into. Um, but then then she introduces the sister, who there's obviously a lot of parallels with. Uh, Solange was the sister. Yeah, um, and again, in fact, probably a more fascinating character, more background there, so much interest with the family. And the book seemed to me really, and this sounds like a major criticism, which isn't necessarily. The book seemed really interspersed, jumping between... Anne and the sister and obviously Georgette is, is the, who is the narrator Georgette is the normal in this mm. a little bit like Andy Millman in Extras he's very normal and the mm-hmm. whole world around him is uh, the is, is the point of interest so Georgette the narrator sort of provides this norm and off her you've got all the weird and wonderful characters the primary two being Anne and Solange and I don't know if I, I I, I kind of the novel leaves me wanting more from both of those stories mm. and Anne resolved a lot more than Solange did, in the sense that Anne dies. There's spoilers on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> make sure you read it before you listen to us. Um, yeah. So, so but, but it's but, so funny
2: you say Anne dies, and I'm going when? Like I got
0: well exactly. It, and Anne dies, but through other people's um, re- recounting of her story. Um,
2: oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I've forgotten. I've already. I only read. I can't remember ago. if she dies
0: in prison or not. I can't remember. I think Anne dies in prison.
2: Okay, she must do.
0: Yeah, because there's a whole weird section towards the end of the book where one of her, and it's actually one of the best sections I think, yeah. which where like her fellow prison inmate, yeah, who's like some hard-ass woman who initially sort of bullied Anne a bit, but they obviously ended up friends over the years and became. Oh, because she
2: saved her life. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah, older women in prison together, um, and that's actually a really lovely passage. But yeah, so Anne's Anne's an interesting story. Solange's is an interesting story. I just don't know if flitting between the two actually weakened the overall direction of the book mm. a bit. It made the plot a bit flimsy. I could be wrong. I enjoyed both characters. I enjoyed that Solange was this crazy sister who had tensions with the parents, who ended up all around America. Maybe I. Maybe that's the... the, the, the you know, stupid readers like me are supposed to think they're clever by drawing parallels between those two characters and how they affect the narrator and how they make the narrator feel. Because the whole way through, Georgette even when she's working at quite a classy magazine in New York, I think it was New York, mm. she 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 seems very weak to mm. me. She's a very weak and vulnerable character.
2: See, that's interesting that you think about Solange and Anne, because I didn't think Solange as being as central a character as Anne. Um, I wasn't as... Like, for me, she was very much a side character, a bit part. And actually, I think narratively... Like, this is where, when you become critical about books... So, like, reading that book, it really struck me. And I mean it, like, in in my gut, it was with me for days afterwards and I was sort of grappling with all the ideas she brings in about sort of racism and sexism and white saviourism and escaping your parents and can you ever be good? Like, if you're... You know, the whole thing with Anne is that I think she's fundamentally meant to be a really good, kind-hearted person with a real strong sense of justice, but she can't win in the world because she's too privileged and is, you know, sort of playing this white saviour role that she'll never be able to overcome that privilege um, and be authentic in the role she's trying to kind of take on. Um, So it really strongly affected me. But then, yeah, when I think back to it, the whole Solange's character, and this is where you think what Sigrid, Sigrid was trying to achieve, is that she's trying to give you a big snapshot of America at that time and the drugs and the um, civil rights movements and education and contraception and all this kind of thing and rape and, and what women went through yeah, and Woodstock and Mick Jagger and all that sort of thing and I think Solange is almost a device like there's a part of me that doesn't feel like Solange I mean this would be, so one of my creative writing tutors would say Solange is an idea not a character in the sense that she's there to to satisfy that need for the open roads, that sort of, what's the Jack Harrop i can thinking of? On the road. On the road, that kind of sense of America and free America and travelling and seeing where life get, takes you. And I think Solange is kind of that side of things. Um, so she's not, for me, as fundamental a character. And also, narr- I think, again, critically speaking, the way Solange's story is delivered, it, the point of view is quite... Unconvincing, because obviously it's as Solange has told Georgette, but it's so detailed that it's not quite convincing if that makes sense. It's like how would Georgette know all the things that Solange is saying mm. there's um but I think with secret Nunez, and she does this in the friend as well, she is very self aware even within the narrator she's self aware of her own writing and her own narration of a story. do
0: you think there's almost like an apologetic edge to it?
2: Yeah, she's very aware of the techniques she's using. So, for example, when she's she has um an affair with um Anne's father, and she writes about it. Is it yeah? She writes about it in third person, doesn't she?
0: Yeah, that was weird for me. That was weird, and I, I thought that was unnecessary. Reader, yeah, as a reader, it actually disorientated me yeah. quite a lot. And I like the device. I like that. Oh, it's quite confusing. She's with Anne's father years, but I, I just the third person thing. I'm, I'm I'm not a fan of that and it came qu- t- towards the end of the book at quite a critical point yeah. so I do feel like that let it down quite significantly
2: but it's like she was trying to show the shame around it I think wasn't she she was like was that the one I'm, is that the right am I thinking of the right bit because she sort of said she can't believe it was her and that's why she talks about them in the third person mm, you're challenging me now um, right? which is a narrative device again it's like oh it's interesting it's kind of exciting um, and it's nice when authors try these things out but actually yeah you're right it's disorienting um, because so far we've believed Georgette to be quite a reliable narrator, you know, and so it's why would she then feel the need? And she's given us a lot of detail yeah. of a lot of things. Why would she then, as a character, I'm not convinced that the character would feel that much mm. shame over that, I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, very, very discordant mm. with the the style of the rest of the book, I thought. Um, but <laughs> it is what it is. So if we can just wind, wind back to Anne... So, the setup of the book is is very very normal. You know, um, we've kind of already covered. She goes to uni or college or whatever, and her roommate is Anne and Georgette. You can immediately see how normal and safe and possibly scared she is because Anne is so confident and 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 she knows what she believes in, and she's quite outspoken. Um, then throughout the book, we fast forward, and you sort of get an idea of. Where, what Anne's up to in snapshots and little windows into her life. And Doesn't she
2: set up that first bit so well though? That whole because obviously we're both working class people. Reading that first page, the first couple of pages, where you know Anne's character straight away because she's asked for a different room, and it's yeah, the way that yeah. someone from a lower class background would never think that asking for something was you just a possibility. Don't think that's an option, yeah. and that for me really framed it. Yeah. And it was so. Um, uh, yeah. Engaging and I think
0: it. I related to it. And I remember when I arrived at uni in London and some of the characters made me go, Christ, I'm normal, <laughs> like painfully, boringly normal. And obviously London changes you a bit and makes you somewhat, you know, more Poor. mediocre. Uh, <laughs> but the bit that intrigued me is uh, when they they go for dinner years later um at a restaurant and and there's also another scene where she goes to the house and uh, anne has the boyfriend she kind of like she met him in brooklyn and he's a black guy she's a white girl so they get abuse in the street for mm. the time and everything um but what i thought was depicted so so well and actually t- take the whole um race discussion out out of it, which is quite um quite prominent in the book it's just the tension between a friend meeting her old friend and there's a boyfriend, mm. and it's changed the entire dynamic mm. of the friendship. So yeah. there's three of them having dinner. What do you think? I don't know that. That really struck me. Actually, it's just a really relatable, powerful scene. Yeah,
2: especially for women. I think that whole um, your friend's first serious boyfriend and, and seeing how that changes the dynamic. Yeah, because it changes intimacy. Because up until that point, you've only known intimacy through friendship, mm. and then suddenly. To be able to have real intimacy with another person, you kind of have to lose it with your previous people. You know, you'll never have that intimacy again. I guess mm. that's a really interesting thing. Yeah, without the whole um, racial or class or um, feminist elements to it, just that natural tension between, between friends is... Yeah, it's very interesting.
0: Because I guess Anne, who may very well authentically love the guy she's with, but the narrator and the the setup of the book does constantly go is she just with him because mm. you know he's a working class black guy and it then she's the white savior um and or it she may, her sort yeah. of sense
2: of belonging to want, wanting to belong to
0: uh, and suddenly there's someone from her her past yeah her very good friend who knew her before she was with this person mm. so she she's made you know that you get that tension because Anne's maybe wondering does this expose me as a fake mm. you know um but that's and thing she... I never get the sense
2: that Anne is a fake, like I am always i I am convinced of her good intentions and i mm. i I am actually on on the sympathetic side, I suppose this is what's brilliant about Nina's I think is that she kind of asks you she's asking you what do you want her to do, like what would you have and do mm. um, she doesn't want to be rich white and privileged. She wants to make a difference in the world, but she doesn't want to be a white saviour and she doesn't want to make the money, she doesn't want to be part of this disgusting system and 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 that everything about, you know, that we're reading her questioning her own motives, it's like that's a difficult life to live, yet she has such a sense of character and strength that she doesn't care what people think, which, again, is very interesting because would she have that sense of strength of, char- that strength of character if she wasn't upper class or middle class? Do you know what I mean? Like the very thing that... Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, makes her fight is actually her privilege that gave her that right to feel that you know that sense of entitlement Mm. to to just be herself without yeah it's not quite meta
0: but it's somewhere on the way to be meta um so you fast forward and actually Anne's relationship with that man well it it, it came to a climax um when it is learned that uh Anne shot a police officer Mm. and this is obviously the book's Really big sort of it's a midpoint reversal. Yeah, nothing can ever be the same. Um it's the, the, the officer the officer's being abusive towards Anne's boyfriend. Anne is in uh, sort of an upstairs window somewhere and the altercation's happening out in the street. Uh and she shoots the officer dead, and you sort of follow Anne's trial and you follow Anne defending Kwame and and gets sent down. And ultimately and then you're 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 left wondering was this an act of ab- absolute love? Is mm-hmm. is it the ultimate extension of you know the the worst of Anne that we've been that's been hinted at but not necessarily mm-hmm. stated? Um, and Anne comes out saying, uh, "If the officer had used the N word one less time, he might still be alive." Mm-hmm. Which is what you know that time in America just. Sealed the deal on her yeah. sentence. The, the weird thing is, actually, with this book, maybe it's because I, I uh, you know, I've not lived in America, I've not lived in this era, um, and while I've I've enjoyed reading the story, actually, I I don't feel like taking any moral authority or side on any of these issues. Yeah. I I enjoy actually the fabric of what Sigrid's done, where she, as you said earlier, she's posing the question what what do you think you know maybe there is no definitive answer you come
2: away from it not knowing what to think which which is real life isn't it there there are
0: people you know um, trying to think of a completely different scenario but there are people where you go oh is that is that Guy a bad guy. Mm. Well, he kind of is, but actually, he's just the wrong side of arrogant. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, all these, you know, there's nuance to everything, I suppose. Yeah. And that's nuance is a very big overriding term. She's
2: obviously saying this at a huge time of change. Um, you know, the '60s, civil rights movements, um, women going to work, sort of, and owning their um, and owning their reproductive decisions, and um, and sort of taking charge more of their lives. It's really very interesting, and you see. You see Georgette kind of she is kind of riding that wave. Like I think she's actually getting the positives of that time, isn't she? I think that's what's something we don't really notice quite clearly, is that she gets to divorce. You know, what she divorced once, twice.
0: She has two divorces. She has two divorces.
2: Yeah. Um she's socially mobile. She's at a time where if you, she was good at typing but that meant she got a, like an editorial assistant job or something like that. You know, she got into publishing mm. newspapers and something. And And actually, so hers is kind of like the, not American dream, but that's like the tale of social mobility for women from her background. Yet what we're looking at is the social demobility of Anne, in a way, where she Mm. wants to go down in class in in that hierarchy in America. She wants to experience a more authentic life and and turn her back on everything. Yeah, I never really thought that. So you've got one person who's actually quietly, upwardly mobile Mm. and the other person who's very loudly... Damnly yeah.
0: Mobile. Well, I mean it's interesting because I hadn't thought of that because Georgette is so much the you know the the normalizer the the center point that just anchors it all. Actually, it, it, I hadn't I hadn't considered that when I was reading it. I was so focused on the the, the wacky world around her. Actually, yeah, she she had quite an interesting ride. She's actually um, silently
2: getting sort of on with it. She's
0: getting the like you said the benefits of the era, um, and she's got her stresses, you know, with her, her sister, her, her the entire life. And actually, one thing I think again could have been so much more. Um, than just a couple of chapters, was the chapters where she's working at the magazine that her husband owns. Mm. Um, And her husband turns out to be a a complete arsehole. He's a chauvinist. He's a horrible guy. Um, But he, you know, initially he's introduced as, you know... She tells you that he's a bastard right away, but she Mm. does say, but fair play, he was so charming. Charming, I was absolutely taken by him. There's a bit where she's like, I even enjoyed watching other women be charmed yeah, by yeah, him yeah. and some yeah. real brutal lines. but she's told you straight away by the way this doesn't end well mm-hmm. and almost there I, I'm up for that but I would have been up for just a little bit more of the curve I feel yeah. like he goes from and he was a high flyer and this was the magazine and the the, the calibre of work we were doing and the type of life we were leading then she cuts away to some like Anne stuff some salon stuff then she comes back oh by the way now I'm getting divorced because he's terrible
2: it's a brilliant way of decentralising her own story though decentering her own story like it's a brilliant narrative device, I think. I think she knows what she's doing. It's like, and it's in keeping with the character that Georgette is like. I'm not important in this story.
0: So again, you think that's a conscious choice? Y- yeah, I, I, th- I
2: think that's. The, I think mm. it's in keeping with the character. If you think she's so obsessed with trying to work everyone else out, it sort of is in keeping with the, her social economic background as well, her relationship with her parents, and all that sort of thing. You're like, oh, she is just observing while in the background getting hurt and screwed over by men. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But still rising above that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's
0: like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the
2: perfect role. I mean, she talks about her rape and and it's very interesting as well because she incorporates this older woman attitude. So she's talking about how, um, how much sympathy she got from younger women when talking about her rape when she was younger and how they were so shocked that she didn't think it was this defining moment in her life or something like that. And for her, it wasn't as big. I, I can't remember the passage, but um, it, for me, just reminded me of that difference between sort of, you know, older generations of women who are kind of, well that's the world you're in. Get on with your life mm. now. You don't need to be defined by your pain or victimhood or anything like that. So she's a very stoic character as well. Um but it's interesting when you think the background she's from she clearly has to have has to have terrible relationships. You can't just, you know, go from that without um Oh,
0: I I agree she has to. And I I, I just I'm now thinking it's interesting actually that because what I'm saying is, actually, I'd like more on the decline of that marriage mm. and the, the decline of that husband turning more and more into an apparent yeah, monster. I think
2: that's a conscious choice that and you think she's conscious as a character. She's like, away. you know, she doesn't want to dwell in her own pain, mm. I think. And I don't think she, in fact, she points yeah. out the moments of strength, you know, um, with the guy who hit on her and she bit his tongue or something like that. And... And what that did to her female relationships as well, and so there's a very common thread of women dealing with men and and the effect it has on their futures and all their relationships, which I found very interesting. But she, yeah, she didn't dwell, she didn't dwell on that. It was all very matter of fact, which I think is what a lot of women do. Um, one thing I want to bring up: uh, the Great Gatsby thread through it. Did you notice?
0: They do talk about the Great Gatsby. Yeah. Uh, and reference it and I can't tell whether she loves it or hates it throughout it, it it's why the why the great Gatsby is not a great book but then there's like a little twist at the end that suggests actually, it's one of the greatest in fact, yeah. the, in fact it's that closing
2: quote So sure, here are more lines from the great Gatsby I like to walk up 5th Avenue and pick out romantic women from the crowd and imagine that in a few minutes I was going to enter into their lives and no one would ever know or disapprove I like to remember when I was one of them or to pretend that I am one of them still sensing that restless man at my back and half turning. No, turning all the way, open armed, saying, Pick me, pick me that last paragraph is obviously from her. Um
0: I think when I read that last bit I turned around to you saying I didn't like the pick me, pick mm. me bit. It just goes back to her weakness. It yeah. just
2: wanting, life uh, to, wanting y- to be open though to life, I think.
0: I get that, yeah. I just you just think all of her horrible experiences with with men would make her not be would just make her I don't know Maybe I'm just being horrible <laughs> here, but it's just the way she goes, turns around and a, man in, a strange man in the street and she wants to go pick me, pick me. And I just think, I don't know. I just, I feel like the journey her character's just been on would actually be going, would just be closing with something a little bit more
2: empowered.
0: Are you saying this is actually a parallel, a deliberate parallel? Uh, no, I, yeah, it? I
2: absolutely okay. think so. I think it's really influenced it. Wow. Um, I, mean, th- I mean, I want that to is look incredible. it up. I haven't looked it up enough, but... Um,
0: I did not get that. I
2: really think it is. I, I mean,
0: now, now you say it, that makes a lot of sense, but... Um,
2: Look it
0: up. <laughs> she, but she is very Nick Carraway, yeah. In the sense that the madness happens around her, she's the very, very plain.
2: She's an moral, observer.
0: Gra- yeah, yeah. She's
2: a writer. Point of <laughs>
0: gravity. You you Google the Gatsby connection in this book. I, I i a bit more visual and a bit less serious here. I, I want to talk about the, the the Rolling Stones in it. <laughs> Go on then. So uh, Solange is obsessed with the rolling stones and Mick Jagger she loves them so much there's there's five or six pages in the middle of the book that uh, that's a love letter she's written to Mick Jagger and it's uh, and when you watch the you know the old movies of beatlemania and and the stones and how and how crazy people were for them mm-hmm. and yeah you know, the yeah you know, the hysterical girls in the audience and, and the, it, it, this totally fits with that sort of thing it's a lovely depiction and they talk about Woodstock and and again it's obviously so well because there is a documentary on Woodstock and it's so well researched how the scale of how far everyone was queuing up outside and the hysteria to see these bands and to be part of this free love movement. Um, I loved that that was the centre of it and that's where sort of Solange disappeared to for a large part of it hmm. um, There's a really cool, cool couple of scenes um one where Mick Jagger turns up at their campsite cuz they've camped out the night before a Rolling Stones Yeah gig. And actually, it's told as if, no, this actually happened. I'm going, oh, my God, Solange actually got to meet Mick Jagger, this crazy girl, and, and he kind of made a pass at her and said to come and find me after the show, but then the security guards wouldn't let me in. And you are going, oh, my God, this is believable as well, because if Solange was giving a fancy, then she'd have gone to Mick Jagger's trailer, but, oh, my God, no, she got turned away. Yeah. But then, as the tale keeps unraveling, you're like, oh, okay, it's, it's a load of rubbish, she yeah. made it up, and she really subtly reveals, oh, no, Solange was like this, she'd sell you these absolute dream sequences yeah. um i loved that i thought it was really funny just the whole sequence where they gave mick jagger a bit of dialogue <laughs> uh, really broke it up nicely um and then the other thing that i totally forgot was a real thing that happened was when uh, the stones did a huge show and uh, the hell's angels were handpicked by the stones themselves to do security and the whole thing ended up in a big nasty riot and i just think the description of it is actually quite accurate to what i read in keith richard's biogra- mm-hmm. um, autobiography rather um, and the tensions of the and everything that happened afterwards because I believe a young man got killed and why did the Stones employ the Hell's Angels yeah. and and all and why didn't they stop the show and why was it overcrowded? Um, it's just quite a nice depiction. Yeah. I, I know not that relevant to the central story, but I love that something that's now been I know it was already immortalised, but it's been put into a work of fiction. Yeah, and I and love I like, that device.
2: I like the um, I like the idea of obsession with it as well. You know those deep beliefs you would have had that. She could just be with Mick Jagger, everything Mm. would be okay. But it's just really sad.
0: I mean, they don't overly dig into Solange and Georgette's parents and what actually Who's
2: got her mum was awful and her dad like sexually abused them both, I think that was the Yeah, it was alluded to,
0: wasn't it? And um but the main thing you get is actually the effects. You get Solange's journey and you get what she's like when she periodically turns up in Georgette's life, whether that's fantasising about rock stars, whether that's encouraging Georgette to do some drugs with some weird people she's just yeah. met, You know, which is actually a, a really interesting scene because Georgette's pulled so far out of her comfort zone, but still kind of seems to make it I don't say it's bad. like but She makes it boring, but not in a bad way. You're still with her. You're on her team while the freaks are doing drugs. She's done drugs. Oh, bless her. She's given it a go. Um...
2: I'm just reading um, Sigrid Nunez's uh, interview with Virago. So she did a bit of a Q&A um, about um, a couple of her works. Some readers might think the last of her kind follows a particular trope in literature, that of telling the tale of an extraordinary person's life through the eyes of a more relatable friend, like in The Great Gatsby. But it does set itself apart in George, who is more characterful than those typically featured in the category. Did this occur to you when writing and did you deliberately give George more agency? So, uh, Ninias says, From the beginning I knew I wanted the story to be told by someone who was an astute observer and chronicler of her times, but who stood at a certain remove from events rather than at the heart of them. George is far less extraordinary than her friend Anne, as she is less extraordinary than her sister Solange. And her take on their lives is largely that of a subjective but reliable witness. But I did also want George to be a strong and engaging character and to show how the era in which she came of age shaped the woman she became. That she's the one who's doing the work of looking back and searching for the meaning of it all makes her, for me, the novel's most important character. Um, Then... There's a question on the Great American Novel, and Secret says, The Great American Novel always seemed to me to be something that certain great male narcissists obsessed about. No one seemed to think such a book would or could ever be written by a woman. I don't think many people take seriously anymore the idea that there is such a thing as a Great American Novel or that this is what an American novelist should be aiming for. It doesn't say much. See, I want more on The Great Gatsby, but there's not.
0: But that enough. is actually such an interesting little thread there. Yeah. The Great American Novel... And I am loath to say it because it's so many writers I admire, but like, like it all through Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, they rattle on about the <laughs> you know the great American novel and living the American dream.
2: Yeah,
0: Kerouac on the road, which I am yet to read, but I didn't get on with the one Kerouac. I tried to read, but supposedly that's the great American novel. Bukowski, Hemingway, and again, all all authors I like. No, it's interesting what you say about how. Um, it's a very male dominated phrase that whole mm. the great american novel and yeah you're right from all the you know popularization around that term i can't imagine a a woman writer being put forward for that which is which is just absurd um how you know do you think this however is an important book for feminism um
2: i i don't know i think it's not for feminism um i do think it's an important book in that it gives we're not used to narratives that position women as the activists and the ones sort of changing their lives and the ones going ahead and getting what they want and and i think this is in many ways we're seeing women getting what they want or striving for striving for more it's not whether it's about feminism or anything i think it's What do people say an author's role is? It's like, it's simply your job to just show what your characters are and just to tell a story without judgment, without an intentional wish to ask questions or to answer questions. So for me, she's just telling a story about women characters. You know, and I think this is what I think people forget is that feminism isn't about um, talking about women. It's like, no, 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 it's simply just remembering women are in the conversation and their, their stories make up our world too. And so this is obviously just a story that happens to be about women, which is just as valid as stories about men. And it's about an important time in American history, in it's, women's history. It's
0: an interesting little world she paints, isn't yeah, it?
2: And I like the chaos of it. I like that with any time of change, people people adapt to opportunities very differently. And people adapt to freedom very differently. And all these women have got their freedom in different ways. And it's just really fascinating to see how some still need the constraints, society's constraints. They need constraints of marriage. They need constraints of race and sex and, and all that sort of thing and jobs. And then some go crazy and just need drugs and they need obsession and they need free love and they need something that they can't. And that's obviously a result of her trauma. So is sort of childhood trauma. And, um, and then you get other people who... Their, for them, freedom is fighting against everything they hate about themselves. Ultimately, and I think that's what, and that's what makes Anne relatable in a way. It's like she hates herself, <laughs> mm. and it's she didn't make herself. You know, she she hates what she was made by society, was made by her parents. That she hates what the world has done to her before she was even mm. able to talk. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I find that interesting. How. The, how women adapt to freedom because we're in this more free world
0: uh, and on that i also think it is very show not tell in the sense that um you know there's a, a conversation where feminism can be its own worst enemy um yeah. and <laughs> not, actually not my conversation the, the, <laughs> this book is this this book is not um, men are not the devil you know, even you know there's a disgraceful scene like the the, the rape, and there's some she's forced, and then a man forces a kiss upon her at a party, and that's the tongue biting thing. Mm. Um, but at no point is it sort of villainizing. Almost these these the awful family. incidents don't define her. Mm. They don't even really they affect her, but they don't. Um, disable her at all but again
2: i think that is where she is almost quite typical of women of that generation coming from the daughters of people of my grandma's generation who still picked up and to be honest i still have that to a degree that stoic get on with attitude um where you know most most women's first sexual experiences are negative you know that kind of oh well that's what it is and that's just the expectation and when you have a low expectation of life the trauma is still there but it's like an expected trauma, so you're just suddenly working within different limitations, um, and that in a way it's awful because in a way it's an admirable trait, but it's bullshit that mm. women, you know, kind of feel that they can't even own their pain, but she can't be let down by it. Like it's survival; mm. she has to survive, so she can't go, "Oh, this rape find me because of this, that, and the other." And it's like she, it wasn't unexpected because mm. you know men could be awful. But this is the thing with brilliant. This is the thing with brilliant writers. So when we talk about, you know, some of the books you like, not that I've read them, but what I've heard about them, um, and the female characters, they tend not to have their own character arc. They tend not to even have a real personality. They tend yeah, to, the you know, all this. They're just props yeah. for the men. And this, in a way, they're props for the, her story because right. that's what characters yeah. are. That's
0: not why I like those books. By <laughs> <the way.
2: laughs> in a way, that um, that props for a story because that's what you know, uh, um, additional characters are. But it's balanced they're all genuine characters and the enemy isn't men it's patriarchy (laughs) Mm. and and that thing she doesn't even define an enemy like she shows the nuance of the world and and i think she does it i think she does it really well and it it did make me just go oh i mean i kind of felt a bit depressed by it all um but it was amazing that women went through this period of change and it was so, so important. Mm. And I don't think it's written about enough. So in that way, actually, where you say, it's good for feminism? I don't think it's about good for that, but it's good for our conversations. It's good for our history books like this, mm. which remind us that it wasn't all Forrest Gump kind of things at that time. It wasn't just um, mm. the war and men fighting and women only being sad in relation to men. It was like women were actually, and they were activists and people were fighting for causes at this time. Um, yeah, it's interesting.
0: So... The title, mm. The Last of Her Kind, it kind of builds on what you just said, but what do you think exactly she means by that? Who's the last of her kind? Which character?
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh... Well, I think the idea is that it's someone who believed in something. Maybe. I don't know.
0: So is that Anne? I think it's Anne's Anne. died and Anne was the last of her kind.
2: I think so, yeah. Doesn't she say it? Directly, I don't know. There is a, bit of a line in there, yeah. yeah.
0: Whether that's who the overall book refers to, but we think the last of our kind was Anne, and not the. Mm,
2: I think so. It's a. It's honestly, it's a really puzzling book, which is why I love it. Yeah, some of the devices are a bit forced or not that convincing, but overall, you get such a sense of the era, and like, isn't that just what amazing writing is? If you feel that you're like in in that period of time, should we go on to? We'll just read out a couple of uh, reviews.
0: Okay. Have we got Amazon reviews? Have we got reviews. We don't reads? have Amazon
2: reviews. There's only one UK Amazon review and the bad reviews on Amazon.com. Actually, no, I'll read the bad reviews on Amazon.com because it's quite fun. Bad
0: reviews are normally hilarious, so that is going to be a feature on this podcast.
2: Yeah, we need to read some of the, like the... The big, big bestsellers.
0: Yeah. Also, this is the first episode. Can we say that that was quite deep? with this we, we might not always go that deep. <laughs> no, we I, I, you know, I'm going to be bringing Post Office by Bukowski onto the table, <laughs> and suddenly we're you know we're going to be talking about you know speed of delivery and whether horse races is a good device. You're <laughs> looking at me like this isn't happening.
2: I don't know what you're on about. <laughs> um, right. Well, I like this. Got a review here from Deborah on Amazon.com, saying, This book was not all it was cracked up to be. Did not finish this book. Maybe I did not relate to the 60s era after all. I don't understand.
0: Deborah, what was it cracked up to be? Yeah. Yeah. One star. Uh, Brutal. One star. Who else we got on Amazon?
2: Um, Agatha has called it tedious and mediocre. Reads like the written English homework of a particularly pretentious eighth grader. Skip it. Seriously? I mean... I mean, right? I
0: just... Aren't all novelists just pretentious eighth graders? Like...
2: <laughs> <laughs> no! Like, this This is the... I just... Okay. You cannot win. You can't win. Like, you'll always get someone... Like, if you try something new, you'll be called pretentious. If you try something simple, it'll be boring yeah. and basic and not hard.
0: I can't me. wait to see what reviews we get on this. Because no. <laughs> yeah. someone will say something.
2: No one's going to say anything. No one's going to listen. okay. Mm. Don't worry about it. Except mum, she'll listen.
0: What she... Okay, I thought... Uh, I thought you found an Amazon comment from mum. No. <laughs> mum <Mama> said this.
2: Mum has <laughs> said your podcast is shit. Um, so on Goodreads edith said i wasn't as crazy about this book as i expected to be or as much as many other reviewers were and have been trying to figure out why simply put i did not like the character of anne in this story the rich girl activist who had nothing but disdain for her upbringing parents and privileged life and he thought it was the only poor only the poor who were virtuous and worthy of her time and effort um Uh, now
0: can i say on that yes
2: likeability (laughs) go well
0: (laughs) i i wasn't keen on this character are you supposed to like all the characters? Yeah. Are you not supposed to hate some or feel strange about some or like feel Voldemort? indifferent? Did no. you like Voldemort? Is... No. Idiot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's like, yeah, you've got... Oh,
0: maybe cut out. Um,
2: <laughs> but she, she said, I found her tiring and totally obnoxious. I'm like...
0: yeah. Did you like Fagin? No. <laughs> <laughs> Would you want him missing from that book?
2: <laughs> Very good. <laughs> um yeah very strange someone says too long too repetitive so often I just wanted the author to get on with it but she dawdled see, I, this is I, the I thing disagree, disagree. I disagree disagree with that and actually I can see what she means and what parts she might mean but what I loved about this book was I actually enjoyed reading slowly a little bit more I actually you know when you just soak up a book and you read it line by line I'm usually someone who just skips through descriptions, I don't care what a room looks like, I don't care what a table looks like, I don't care but I didn't have any of that with her, it was like I was there and mm. yeah. I also
0: think she didn't comparatively mm. speaking, she didn't dawdle on any passage for too long, it was fairly fast paced
2: I would say the only thing for me was Solange's bit but I, like, I didn't need that
0: no. as much. No, see I, I like that, that's obviously where we differ, yeah. you talk about the whole thing where she's yeah. wayward in the 60s and Woodstock and... I, I
2: kind of, for me that was extra yeah. but it was still interesting I, I, I will
0: say while I probably loved Solange at Woodstock and the stone stuff and the drug stuff the best I would have sacrificed it for some more stuff on Anne mm-hmm. maybe another little hero of Anna's Anne's on Anne life. not George yeah on, mm-hmm. on Anne mm-hmm. like follow Anne a bit more or, yeah. or or Georgette um but yeah in terms of I think actually it was quite effective in flitting around it was only towards the end when it started changing narrators and 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 persons and things i i I wasn't on board with that but it didn't drag
2: no i really loved it and i think for me the test of a book is if it if it you know gets you in your gut if it sticks with you Mm. and it really did it made me think so much um you made me think um no i loved it Mm. i think well we we covered it
0: I think we have. Um, So hopefully that gave you some background. Hopefully you've already read it. Otherwise, you know, you know that Anne dies, even if you're going to go and read it now. But it is worth the journey, though. It's very interesting and unique style. Um, I think it's a really important book.
2: Mm I do.
0: I think it's great. It's finally been published in the UK in 2006. Is that correct?
2: 13 years after it was first published Mm. in the US, yeah. Yeah, um, it's fantastic. And I think they published it because The Friends uh, won awards and, and did very well. So they um, they got this out there straight away. I love it. I really, really do. I think it's very important. I love the characters. Love the themes. I just think they're so well woven into it. Love the sense of, of, of place and that crazy time in the 60s and 70s. Um, especially for women. I think it's, yeah. Love it. Out of 10, what would you give it? 7.5.
0: What about you? I'll
2: go go for an eight. On feeling, I'll go for an eight. Cool.
0: You definitely did connect with this book slightly more than I did. Mm -hmm. I loved it, but I think it really seemed to actually touch you on quite a fundamental level. So let's give it an eight out of ten. We recommend you read The Last of Her Kind by...
2: Sigrid Nunez.
0: Fantastic. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you. I believe next time we will be going through the Testaments. Is that right? Will you have read it by then?
0: I don't know. Will you have read Fahrenheit 451?
2: I will try and read that. They'll be our next podcast in no particular order.
0: Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.